0: Amen. Lord, we thank you that we get to we get to sing about your cross. We thank you, Lord, because you didn't have to die for us. Uh, and, And in reality, you didn't just die for us. But yes, you died for us, but you also died for your own glory because it was the way that you decided that you would ransom our own sinful hearts and put us into our right relationship with you. It was through the cross. And we thank you this morning as we gather ourselves to celebrate through worship and to celebrate through Bible reading and Bible teaching and ultimately to celebrate through remembering what you did on the cross by taking communion. Father, we thank you and we pray that you would be with us in the remainder of this gathering, for that you would be glorified and honored. It is Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Epiphany Church. How y'all doing this morning? Good, good, good. Y'all look great. It is a privilege and honor to be here gathered, uh, proclaiming the work of Jesus Christ. It's an exciting Sunday. Let, let me just be honest with you guys. I'm a bit tired this morning. Got up at uh, three o'clock this morning and jumped on a flight with my oldest son. Can y'all thank God for my oldest son sitting up in the sound booth? Amen. <laughs> He's working despite the fact he had to get up with daddy this week. And I had to preach three times this week in, uh, in North Carolina at a youth conference. And the Lord was gracious to us. We got to see several youth give their life, like actually give their lives to the Lord this, this weekend. Amen. And we never take for granted the power of the gospel in, in impacting a young mind. And, and seeing it like move on the hearts of these young people was incredible. And so I'm, I'm a bit tired today. Nevertheless, I believe that the Lord does provide strength when it's time to preach his word. Uh, it's exciting Sunday, though, for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first reason is because we get to welcome a new crop of covenant community members into our church. <laughs> Amen. Um, if you've been around for any amount of time, one of the things you'll pick up from our church is that we are passionate about going through books of the Bible. Uh, and when I say go through books of the Bible, let me just... Cu- quickly define what that means. When I say go through books of the Bible, I mean go through all of the book, every verse, verse by verse, line by line. Uh, One of the the covenant community uh, member uh, thoughts that we had was that you know our church believes that we want to go through the whole counsel of God. And one of the ways we find best in doing that is by getting in a book of the Bible and just working through it. So we'll spend the next eight to 10 weeks working through this short book that is a book by a prophet named Habakkuk. We'll spend the next eight to 10 weeks working our way through that book. And uh, I can promise you that some of the things that will come up will very, very deeply resonate with you uh, because some of the questions and thoughts and answers that go back and forth, I'm sure at some point you have uh, you have asked. Here's the here's one of the concerns I have. With uh, church today, modern church, particularly Western church, we tend to like books of the Bible that are outside of the prophets, for some reason. And, and I want to I want to prove this to you. One of my professors uh, did some research at a church that a local church that he knew the pastor. He went down to the local church and he did a a, a survey of all of their sermons over the last uh, I don't know how many years since 2011. He did a survey of every sermon that they ever preached and. He showed us the results, and I want to show you the results. If you could pull that up for me. Here's the results that he found from this local church. If you look at this column, since 2011 all the way to uh, the end of 2017, in the Old Testament narratives, you see in that first column, they pretty consistently work their way through Old Testament narratives. If you look at the, the second column, Old Testament poets, they typically work their way through the Old Testament poets. They must have loved the New Testament uh, because they spent a lot of time in the New Testament. But I want you to look at that last column, the Old Testament prophets. Three times since 2011, this church, uh, which is a faithful church, by the way, this church got into the prophets. And I, I think there's really there's two reasons why churches really don't like to preach the prophets. Number one because they can be confusing. If you do not understand the time, if you do not understand the overall biblical uh, theme and the message of the entire Bible, one of the things you'll do is you'll end up misusing the prophets. And we'll be looking for stuff to be fulfilled that has already been fulfilled in Jesus. And we'll be looking for stuff to be fulfilled that's not gonna be fulfilled until the end times. And so most people will typically try to stay away from the prophets. The other reason I think is because prophecy today just operates differently than it did in the Old Testament. And the reason it does, I love that, whenever, you know you're in a millennial church when you don't hear amen, you hear facts. That's when you, I love it. It always does something to me. Um, What was I saying? You just threw me off, London. Oh, I was saying, I was saying. So, you know, typically when we look at prophets in the Old Testament, there was a way that they prophesied that was very, very different than what we see today. And the reason is because they didn't have a completed book They didn't have a completed Bible, and so the Lord would speak through prophets to keep his people in line and to keep his laws before them, but today we have a completed book. We still believe in prophecy, but we have a completed book, and so when God wants to speak to us, we get to open up 66 books, and so it just looks differently, and so most churches will try to stay away from the prophets, but here's the problem with staying away from the prophets, and this is why we're going to spend the next six To uh, 8 to 10 weeks in the prophets. What I'm holding in my hand is all of the major and minor prophets. This is from uh, Isaiah all the way to Malachi. This is, I did the math, 265 pages. Now, I just said to you, we are committed to preaching through the whole counsel of God. You are not preaching through the whole counsel of God when you're preaching the first part of this book and the last part of this book. And here's what's more important. Jesus says in Luke chapter 24 that all Scripture, he's fulfilled all Scripture and all Scripture talks about him. And then he goes so far as to say, even the prophets. So what I'm holding in my hand is talking about Jesus, but we neglect to get into these. For the next eight to ten weeks, we will not only be in these pages, but we will spend a ton of time just working our way through the book of Habakkuk. Uh, let me do this. Let me read and then I'll pray. I'll, I'll, I'll announce our theme and I'll pray and then we'll, we'll jump in and see what the Lord will do. Verse one, Habakkuk. It says this, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong?" Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Underline verse number four. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. i want to preach today for a short amount of time on the topic questions and complaints. Questions and complaints. So let's look to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning. What a powerful start to this book. Opening the book with a bunch of questions and a bunch of complaints. Father, that's many of us in this room. Many of us in this room, we have some questions for you. For honest, only honest people will say, sometimes, Lord, I just don't understand you. So, Lord, we can identify with Habakkuk. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us out of what you've already spoken through your prophet in your word. Thank you for the infallible nature of your word. Thank you that it is perfect. It is without error. But we also thank you for the sufficiency of your word, that your word is actually able to help us to work our way through life. And so, Father, I pray that as we get into this Old Testament book, which is sometimes neglected, but I pray that you would speak to us. Pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified. As always, Jesus says that the prophet spoke of him. May we see Jesus and get a glimpse of Jesus through this Old Testament book. So we thank you. We praise you. We give you the honor and the glory. Let everybody say amen. Questions and complaints. My father uh, was in the military. He was in the Marines for 22 years. And so I grew up, my, I grew up in the military. In fact, I grew up uh, in Fairfax, Virginia, and we were stationed on Quantico in Quantico when, uh, when I first was born. And we bounced around quite a bit because of him uh, being in the military. One of the places we lived was in North Carolina. He was stationed on Camp Lejeune in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And around that time, he used to take us fishing. And it was me and my brother, and we didn't have a lot of money, so you know, he, he would, <laughs> he'd pack up some honey buns and some, some ecto coolers. Y'all remember those green ecto coolers? Y'all don't remember those? Well, he would pack those in full of sugar, just nothing but sugar. And he'd pack those up, and we'd go down to the shore, and it would be time for fishing. But he would, this wasn't regular fishing. We were rock fishing on the jetty. And I don't know if you guys know what a jetty is. But you know those collection, those huge collections of rocks that kind of protrude out into the ocean, and you kind of—they're very dangerous. If, you know, you can slip through some of those rocks. But he used to find a path that we could get through, and we'd go to the tip of that jetty, and he'd give us the fishing poles, and we put the bait on there, and sometimes we put the honey bun on there. You know, you ghetto—you putting the honey bun on there. <laughs> We, we, we throw you know, the, the, the net into the water, the pole into the water, and we'd be pulling it in, that line in. And, uh, you, you know, one of the things that happened one of the times I went was I remember just asking him a bunch, of, a series of questions. I just, I don't know if I still, even today, I don't know if I've grew out of that why stage. I just, you need to know how things work. And so I would ask my father all of these questions. And first question I asked him is, how did these rocks get here like this? And my father said to me, son, I don't know, just keep on fishing. So I put my, my, my line back in the water. A few minutes went past, and we actually caught a fish, and I was excited. Now, my, my father just loved the art of fishing. He really didn't care to keep the fish and gut the fish and clean the fish. And so we'd catch the fish, and I was baffled because after we'd catch it, he'd take the hook out and throw it back in the water. In my mind, I'm like, we just caught that. That's, that's dinner. That's good with some grits. I'm just saying. That's good with some, you know, you deep fry that. And, and so... You know, I asked my father, why are we taking these fish and throwing them back in? And he said, son, I don't I don't know. Just keep on fishing. And then a few minutes went past and a boat was going by. And I remember asking my father, how in the world is that boat staying afloat? How does it stay on top of the water? And he's aggravated at this point. Son, I just don't know. Just keep on fishing. And then finally, I got enough nerve to ask one more question. And I said, <laughs> I said, Daddy, am I annoying you that I keep asking you questions? And he says, no, son, you're not annoying me. How else are you going to know all of this that I told you today if you don't ask questions? In my mind, I'm like, you didn't answer one question. (laughs) You know, questions are okay. My, My boys ask me a lot of questions. Questions to a father are okay. But what happens when you question the heavenly father, the almighty father? What happens when you got real like real questions? I'm not talking about that. Lord, you know, how do I? No, no, no. Like you are confused. You are baffled at some of the things he he is doing. And you just got a bunch of questions for him. What happens then? Well, we see in our text Habakkuk is like me sitting on that jetty with my father sitting there and he's asking God a bunch of questions and. The difference between my father and God is that my father may not have known the answers or didn't want to answer me because he just was tired of me asking the questions. God knows all of the answers. He has all the answers. Hear me. Whether he's willing to reveal it to you at that moment or not, he still knows all the answers. There's not a question that God is like, oh, my God, that stumped me. Let, let me get the, the, the Trinity together. Let me get the, you know, Jesus and the spirit together because I'm just I'm, I don't know. I don't know. The, no, he knows every single answer. So every question that Habakkuk is going to ask, God is like, I already know. So let's do this. Let's jump into the passage before us. But before we even get to the questions, we got to work through what's called the superscription, which is the title verse. Most prophets and even Psalms have a superscription verse or a title verse, which gives us details. Let me read it. Verse one. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet saw. Now, most superscriptions or title verses give us a lot of information about the author. Most of them. So if you read that this book Habakkuk is sandwiched in between Nahum and Zephaniah. If you look at the title verse of Nahum, if you flip back a couple pages, what you're going to see is we get to we get to know the details of his hometown because it says Nahum of Elkosh. So we get to know where Nahum is from. If you flip over to Zephaniah, we don't get his hometown, but we get his family's lineage. So when you look at at the opening subscription or, or the superscription in Zephaniah, you get to see the prophet's family named out. But when we look at our boy Habakkuk, we don't get either one of those. We do not know his hometown. We do not know his family lineage. But don't get it twisted. Just because we don't know those details about the prophet, we do know some details about him. In fact, there's not just one, not two, but three things that we get to know about the prophet by his opening verse. What's the first one? First one is found in the second word of this verse, the oracle. This word oracle, you know, the the Old Testament was written in the language called Hebrew. And and the word oracle is uh, in its original language was "massa," And "massa" literally means burden or a load. And so we know that the prophet isn't just writing in some light light and fluffy words. He has a burden. There is a load that he is about to unleash for the next three chapters. And here's my, my hope for this room. As we're working through the next 8 to 10 weeks, that we will feel the burden and the tension that Habakkuk is feeling. But don't just note that he has a burden or a load. Note the multifaceted nature of his burden. His burden, number one, you're going to see in his questions today, is he's confused on how his people, which is uh, Israel, and there's a tribe in Israel called Judah, which Habakkuk is the prophet of, He's confused on how his people, God's people, are acting a fool. He does not understand it. He's confused on how the people that are within Judah are acting wicked and God is still blessing them. He's baffled by it. And so he opens our text today by just asking questions about that. But then later on, you're going to see that God is going to give him an answer and the burden and the load begins to be heavier. Why? Because the answer he gets from God he does not like. Because the answer he gets from God is, oh, you think that I'm not working? Yes, I'm already working. I, I'm going to punish the, the the wicked that are within Judah. But how I'm going to do it, you might not like. I'm going to use the Chaldeans. They're more wicked than they are. And so the prophet is like, wait a second. I, I'm asking you to punish, punish Judah, but you're going to punish them with a nation that's more wicked than us. So the burden just continues. And so this. Burden that he has is going to be expressed through each word that he uses within this letter. All three chapters. There's another detail we get in the superscription. So it says the, bur- the oracle or the burden. Here's so simple. That Habakkuk. We get his name. We get to know the author's name. Not just the author, but we get to know the prophet's name. Now, here's what's interesting about knowing his name. We don't know much about Habakkuk outside of this letter. Outside of this book, we don't know much about him outside of that. He's not mentioned in any other books. There's some New Testament. Peter quotes Habakkuk, but he doesn't give us details about Habakkuk. So we don't know much about him. All we know, there's a few things you can pick up, though. Like, you may not get, like, explicit details, but there's a couple of things if you read through this letter, you should know. Number one, our boy Habakkuk got courage. You got to be bold to open your, like, just with a bunch of questions. You open up with questions? So we know he's bold. He goes to God and he goes with courage to God. We also know he has a prayer life. Why am I saying that? Not only does he open with questions, but his questions are disguised in a prayer. And if you read through the rest of Habakkuk, get to Habakkuk 3, he's still praying. And so all throughout this book, you're going to see Habakkuk praying. So we know that he has an oracle or a burden or a load. We know that his name is Habakkuk. There's one more detail that is found in the superscription That is the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. Now we get led on the fact that Habakkuk is actually a prophet, but he's an unorthodox prophet. Why am I saying that? Typically, when you look through the prophets in the Old Testament, prophets were God's instruments. They were the men that God would use to speak to Israel to keep them in line. But when you look through the prophets, look through Isaiah, look through Jeremiah, when you look through them, they were always going to God. God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would speak to the people. Here's why Habakkuk is different. He never speaks to the people. The entire book of Habakkuk is him talking to God. It's a conversation between him and God. You never see him go and actually prophesy to the people of Judah. He doesn't do it. So he's different and how his approach is. And as we work through this, this, uh, this book, you will get to see the, the difference. Now, before we label Habakkuk as a complainer because he opens up with complaints, Habakkuk does something that most of us in this room don't do We're not, when we have questions and complaints. He knows where to take his questions and where to take his complaints. How do I know that? Look at the next two words, first two words in verse number two. Oh Lord, in other words, Habakkuk has questions, Habakkuk has complaints, but he takes them to God. Now, I know most of us in this room, when you got questions, you don't understand God, you got some complaints, you got some gripes, we typically don't take them to God. We take them to our friends to talk about God instead of talking to God. But Habakkuk is like, nah, 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 forget all that. I got to talk to God. I got questions for God, and he goes directly to God. And, and there's something else that you, you really should pick up. And by the way, you taking your questions to God, God doesn't get overwhelmed. He just, I don't care how many questions you got. The fact that he allows Habakkuk to question him and does not kill him is grace. And it should be motivation for you to take your questions to the Lord if you got those questions. But there's something else that we get to pick up with Habakkuk. Habakkuk not only is taking questions to the Lord, but this shows us that Habakkuk had a very consistent prayer life. Now, have you ever had those moments in in prayer or in your time of talking to God where, have you ever had those moments where you just were baffled and you just like had one of those prayers where you was just like, Lord, what's up? I mean, gracefully, you you just didn't, you didn't talk to God any old way, but you were, the gist of your prayer was, Lord, what's up? Like, has anybody ever been there? Am I the only one that prays those? I know y'all have been there before. Where you're just sitting around and you're like, Lord, I'm looking at you bless everybody else around me and I've been faithful and you have not blessed me yet. With those questions where you're like, man, Lord, I'm, I've been faithful to church. I go to small group. I go to DNA. I'm faithful. I give to the church. I give of my gifts and I give of my time. I'm doing all this stuff and you still haven't opened any doors for me. Have you ever been there where you were like, Lord, like, you know, I want to be married and I'm having a hard time with this relationship. or I can't get in a relationship, but I'm looking at my friends that don't know you and all of them are getting married. Don't act like you all don't ask those questions. Habakkuk is asking those type of questions. And he may not be saying, Lord, I want to get married, but let's be honest. You've asked that before. And so what we're seeing here is Habakkuk is being deeply, deeply honest. But, it, but it's almost like a you owe me, God. That's what we do in prayer. We're looking at everybody around us getting blessed and we're trying to be faithful. What we're really saying is, Lord, you know you owe me, right? You owe me because I'm always faithful and I'm always here and I'm always doing. And yet I'm still living paycheck to paycheck. I still can't get a job. This relationship is still dysfunctional. But we have this disposition with the Lord like he should bless you, like he should open the door for you. But I love that Habakkuk is taking those, he's taking those burdens to the Lord. Again, he has a prayer life. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to be a little honest and a little explicit. I'm sick of Christians not praying. Like, it just, it baffles me. Like, we have access to the throne of grace. Here's what's crazy. You could be on the A train in Midtown and get directly to the throne of grace. Like, like this crazy to me. But yet, we go all week without praying. Some of you go all day without praying. But then we look at other religions like Islam and we we put our nose down on them, which I understand theologically. I get it. I get it. It's heresy. I get it. But here's what I know. Someone that is a Muslim probably has a more faithful prayer life than you do. I used to go to a lady that used to cut my hair and She was a Muslim and everybody in the barbershop was was, uh, you know, was was deeply into Islam and she fully garbed up and she, she could fade, too. I'm just saying she was nice and she would cut my hair. And there was a point in the day where all of them would stop no matter. I don't care who was in the chair. They would stop and they would drop to their knees and they would pray right there. I would have half a, ha- a, a, a burn, you know, just this part would be done. My mother, half of my hair is not done. But she would stop and she would drop to her knees and pray. But here's, you know, we only go to God when we got issues. We only go to God when we need something. He's like that genie in the bottle. Like, Lord, I need you now. I need you to come out. But what happens to faithfulness in prayer? What happens to consistency in prayer? Colossians chapter 4, verse number 2, be steadfast in prayer continuous you should always like you should never get far away from the uh, from a prayer especially because you have direct access to the throne of grace no matter where you are and God's not in heaven like I'm nervous because too many people are praying at this time he's he can handle it question is are you faithful in praying there should be two ways that you pray number one you should go throughout your day and you should always be praying I mean, while you're walking, you know, if you got to make a decision real quick. You should stop and pray. Sometimes you got to run to the bathroom and just hip, slip up a prayer. Anybody ever did that before? That's a good prayer in the bathroom. I'm just saying, you just get to your knees if you don't, you know, if it's too, not, not nasty. You know, but if it's a clean bathroom, get to your knees and just pray to the Lord. That's one way to pray consistently throughout your day. The other way is there should be two knee prints in the carpet of your bedroom that you get on your knees and you get before the Lord. in faithful prayer. Habakkuk had a prayer life and we must also have the same prayer life and here's what's interesting about Habakkuk's prayer life Habakkuk's prayer life was consistent even when God wasn't answering him how do I know that look at verse two oh Lord how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear I cry to you violence and you will not save in other words Habakkuk is like Lord I've prayed this prayer more than once See, that, we don't do that. We pray at one time and we think we're done with it. Habakkuk is like, well, you didn't answer it the first time, so I'm going to go back to you. How do I know that? He says, Lord, how long am I going to keep crying and keep praying this prayer and you haven't answered? I was talking to the church uh, on Wednesday during our, our Bible study, and I was, we were just talking about how much of a blessing unanswered prayers are. In fact, I said, you know what? Do me a favor. Everybody pull out your phones or your devices or pull out your your journals, and I need you to write down one prayer that you are grateful the Lord didn't answer. See, we don't do that. We want God to answer. We love testimonies of God answering prayers. We do not like the feeling of the fact that I've prayed and God didn't answer it. But can I promise you, that may be a blessing because God sees a lot further ahead than you do. Like, think of some of the prayers that you've prayed before, how fickle your prayers were. How inconsistent our prayers are. We pray some things that in our mind, if you think back just 10 years, you're like, God, thank you, didn't answer that. Some of you prayed to be married in that relationship. You're looking back going, thank you, Lord. I need a lady right now to just say amen. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. You didn't answer that one. You ever been looking on Facebook and going like, God, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> because this wasn't the one and I knew this wasn't the one. Like, come on, we got to be real in here. You got to you got to have you got to have those moments. Unanswered prayers are blessings. Like I, I do not just get excited over the things that God answers. I get more excited when I look back and say, God, you blocked me from it. You kept me from that. And so what, what Habakkuk is doing in our text is Habakkuk is going back to Lord over and over again. When God does not answer prayer, it is not wasted time. When God does not answer prayer, it is not that you did something wrong. It may be. And here's the crazy thing. Even though Habakkuk doesn't know what the answer is, when we get to the answer next week, God was already working. Like Habakkuk is praying. And he's like, I keep crying. I keep crying. God's in heaven like you can keep crying, but I, I'm gonna work in my time. See, that, that's, that's a good prayer. When you pray it to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm submitting it to you. And whether you do it or not, I want it done by your will, not my own. Because when we do it by our will, we typically mess it all up. Answered prayers are a blessing. And in this prayer you feel some tension because he says, "Oh Lord, how long shall I cry to, for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence." Please, he's going to say violence twice in our passage. He says, "I cry to you violence and you will not save." Here's what's interesting. Habakkuk's prayer that's really a complaint is against Judah, God's own people. So when you think of this word violence that he's talking about, he's, talk, he's not talking about a violent nation. He's not talking about another godless nation that does not know him. He's talking about his own people are violent. And so what, God, what Habakkuk is doing, he's going to the Lord. He's like, Lord, you're, you're blessing them. They're prospering, but they're violent people. And don't just notice that he uses words like violence. He has more questions, one more question, and in the next question you're going to see that he's going to, he's going to talk about violence, but he's going to use some other words to describe believers, his people, God's people. Look at the verse, verse 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence, and you will not say, verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you make me look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Please notice that in his additional question, Notice the, the words that he describes God's people with. I'm just going to read them. Six words. Iniquity. Wrong. Destruction. Violence. Strife. And contention. Here's my question to you in this room. Are you known as a violent person? If you've trusted in Jesus, are you, know, are you known as a person that is destructive? If, you are, if you've trusted in Jesus, are you known as a contentious person? Do you know what contention means? Contention means a person that is debatable and controversial. That's what it means. Like the believers during this time, God's people were controversial and always debating. Like, I don't know how I don't know how y'all feel. But when I have to debate with believers every time we talk, like you ever talk to somebody and you, I mean, y'all could be talking about anything. Y'all could be talking about, you know, the basketball game last night between the, the, the Duke and, and North Carolina, and everything's like, oh, well, let me tell you how many points. Like, Or even Scripture. Sometimes you can give just an encouraging Scripture, and the response you get back is a debate. Contentious. And let me promise you, contention is always immaturity. Like, I don't care how much Scripture you know. And, and sometimes people really, when they're contentious, really what they're doing is they want to show you how much scripture they know. They want to floss. I, you know, I, I, can't, I fight in the world with the devil all day. We have no time to come amongst our brothers and sisters and debate about silly stuff. I mean, dumb stuff. But the Bible shows us that God's people were contentious. And I'm willing to bet some of you are contentious. And here's the crazy thing is, you may not be contentious face-to-face, but Facebook... You get real contentious. You get bold on Facebook. I ain't got to face you and actually take back your critique. I actually can just what you call it butterfingers, Twitter Twitter fingers. fingers. You just sitting there like, you know, nobody can check you. You can be contentious as you want to. Like we cannot allow contention to arise. You cannot be controversial. Everything can't be a debate. I used to be like that when I first became a Christian and. Um, You know, I had this insatiable thirst for the word of God and I would read it and read it and read it eight hours a day. I'd just be in the word of God. And what I, you know, started to breed in my heart was a sense of pride and contention. You know how I know the contention would arise? When my family members would say something, I'd chop them down. My friends would say something, I'd chop them down. I used to be the theological police. Nobody had time for that. When we come into the church, we want to celebrate it. Now, there's moments that you do need to correct. If somebody is wrong, you need to correct them, you need to push them, you need to challenge them. But if every conversation is a challenge, contentious. It's like tech, you know, text tennis. Y'all ever seen anybody do text tennis where they throw a verse at you and you hit one back to them? It's like you know, Colossians 3. And you're like, Obadiah, and they're like, (laughs) (laughs) Ephesians. And now that y'all know Habakkuk, you're like, Habakkuk, you know. It's this back and forth, you know, that we have. And it's not productive. It's not edifying. All we're doing is flossing and tearing you down, not building you up. And here's what I really, my desire is, save that debate that you have for somebody that is against Scripture. Save that when you need to defend the faith. Don't defend it amongst us. Don't floss amongst us. Get out in the world with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't love the the scriptures, that doesn't understand, that misuses scriptures. Give your debate to them. But what we do is we come amongst each other and we just want to challenge one another. The Bible says that they were full of strife. The people were full of contention. I'm going to keep going for the sake of time. He ends here. Verse number four. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. This is funny because in the beginning of verse 4, he's like, justice never goes forth. And at the end of the verse, he's like, wait, wait. when it does go forth, it's perverted when it goes forth. And, and hear, hear me. God cares about justice. He cares about injustice. And, and let me promise you, you know, one of the things we do when it comes to injustice and I'm not preaching a social gospel, but one of the things we do is we separate the gospel from injustice. It's, we, and we can't do that. Why? Because one of the implications of the gospel is justice. How do I know that? Because at the cross was perfect mercy and it was perfect justice. And so God's, if God is full of, of justice and his people are full of injustice, this is a problem. You know, Habakkuk talking about how justice is perverted. This means he understood Judean political system. He understood it. And what we do is we try to separate injustice and politics as though the gospel never should bear its weight on it. And so we see injustice going forth, and I'm not talking injustice just against your brother and sister, but even not, if you see injustice against a non-believer, they are made in the image of God. We have to speak up. We have to say something. But what we do is we see the video and we be like, he shouldn't have reached for his wallet. He, he got shot because he reached for his wallet. And the problem with us having that position is we're perverting justice. We're not a lot like we need to stand flat footed on what the gospel says. And here's the thing about the gospel. You know, when, when it comes to justice and God's justice on the cross, Justice never happened on the cross the way we would see justice happening in our lives. In other words, we want to see justice happening when someone does something wrong. We want to see him get punished. But on the cross, justice was satisfied. But the one that should have gotten the punishment walked free. And the one that was condemned was innocent. But God calls it justice. And so in the gospel, you know, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus and you're like, man, what does this gospel thing mean? This means that that Jesus Christ comes down from heaven, dwells amongst a bunch of sinners, goes to a cross, gets nailed to a cross, slapped in his face. His beard pulled out of his face and he dies on your behalf and he does something crazy. He dies for your sin. And God says that's perfect justice. And here's where the mercy is. You're not on the cross. And you should be on the cross, but you're not on the cross. And, you know, you get saved if you have trusted in Jesus. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you were so great. It's not because you had a consistent prayer life. He saved you, according to Romans, when you were yet a sinner. Before you had a chance. You know, I was talking to the, the, the group last night in North Carolina and uh, we were talking about Luke 19. And I was talking about Zacchaeus. And it was amazing. You know, when you look at Zacchaeus, God is like Zacchaeus gets up in this tree. Read it later. Luke 19. Zacchaeus gets up in this tree. The Bible says he's a tax collector. So we know he's a he's a he's a wicked man. He's the most hated man in town. He gets up in the tree. And Jesus sees him and he says, come down. I'm going to I'm going to come to your house today. And then at the end of that passage, he says, salvation has come to your house. Here's what was interesting. After Jesus has this encounter with him, he then says, I'm going to give back anything that I've defrauded. I've stolen from people. I'm not going to give just that back, but up to four times. Now, here's what's crazy. He says, I'm giving up to four times, but he's not doing it in order to earn Jesus love. Jesus saved him while his butt was in the tree. He already said, I'm coming to your house today. And then the response to Jesus coming to his house was, Oh, God changes everything. Let me now give back because people, I have defrauded. And now, you know, I don't want to defame the name of Jesus. I don't want to go out and steal from somebody else and they say, You really weren't saved. And then they question if Jesus has power to save me. So he gives back. The point I'm making is if you're in this room and you haven't trusted Jesus, you cannot earn your salvation. It is a gift from God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And so, what what Habakkuk is showing us here is the the justice that is going forth, that is perverted. He's showing us we got to speak up. And you know how I know that? Because he speaks up. And he doesn't wait till chapter 3 to do it, he does it in the first first four verses. He says, Lord, you can't let this happen. You can't let the. You know, he's showing that when injustice is taking place, chaos is all around. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As we begin this, this series today, I want to do so with a, with a real humble heart. I don't want us to look at Habakkuk as though Habakkuk is out of the ordinary, like he's different than us. The same. You may have questions, they may not be the same questions, but I'm guaranteeing that there is some type of similarity within the questions that you ask God And that Habakkuk asked, because Habakkuk genuinely was confused by God. He was confused on how God could allow these things to happen. And if you have questions, real honest questions, my hope and prayer is that you would take them to the Lord and wrestle well. He's not offended because you asked him and told him you were confused. You should take that to the Lord. Those questions that you have pray that you would read this verse when you get home and write down all of your questions. Say, Lord, these are questions I've been pondering in my heart, been thinking about them. Lord, I just need you to answer them. i and hoping prayers that he would meet you in that time. Father, I want to pray for everybody in this room. Because everybody in this room represents Habakkuk. We all do. All of us have been, had moments where we were baffled by what you've done or allowed help us to rest in faith. Later on, Lord, you're going to say in this, past, in, in, this, in this chapter or in the next chapter, you're going to tell him to have more faith. Just have faith. Lord, I pray that you would build up in this room a strong sense of faith in you, even when we can't understand you. Thank you for your word. May we be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. In Christ's name we pray, amen.